Her absence, C.S. Lewis once wrote in a grief observed, is like the sky, spread over everything. And that's kind of the thing about grief. It seeps into every aspect of our lives like a liquid. And there's nothing it doesn't touch. So what do you do when grief arrives and doesn't seem to have any intention at all to ever leave? Well, you can do a lot of things. You can build stuff. You can break stuff. You can learn stuff. Or you can make stuff. And here's the thing. It's in all that building and breaking and learning and making that grief finds it can't be the dominating force in your life. It's true. It gets reduced to a supporting character rather than a main one. But the only way that can happen is if you keep moving. Not moving on or moving past or moving away from the thing that got you there, but just moving. Because if you stop, it starts all over again. My guest today on the program, well, he went through it all. But in the end, he decided to keep moving. And as a result, he's made one of the most moving albums of the year. Or actually, of any year. I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. All of your kisses are music of my guest today on the program, Jerry Vessel. Let me tell you a little bit about Jerry Vessel. A fellow native of Northern California, Jerry Vessel was the bassist for the beloved San Francisco outfit Red House Painters. Formed in 1989, the band put out four albums on 4AD, they toured all over North America and Europe, and they called it a day in 2001. Post-Red House Painters, Vessel played drums for the Muons, and he played bass for Six Eye Columbia. He also put out two solo albums under the moniker Heirlooms of August. Heirlooms' sophomore album, Down at the Five Star, found one of the songs featured in the TV series Parenthood. Now, Vessel's third effort is under his own name, and this time around, it really makes sense. A stripped-down affair that's stark, spare, and unflinchingly honest... Her favorite Hitchcock films was written about his relationship with fashion designer Alexis O'Connell, and it not only details their time together, it also confronts dealing with her sudden loss. 
punctuated by piano, violins, cellos, and atmospheric production courtesy of American Music Club's Bruce Cathan. The compositions on her favorite Hitchcock films are as poetic as they are conversational. Beautifully constructed, they're parenthetical, interstitial, self-referential, and emotional. Name-checking Darby Crash, David Lynch, Aluminum Boats, Thelonious Monk, Druid Forts, and Towns Van Zant. The songs that make up this album are filled with lyrical intensity in that they conjure the world Vessel and O'Connell built together. When you're close with someone, you construct universes that are made up of the things you mutually love. And this is a stirring homage to those universes. Yes, there's darkness, and of course there's pain here. But every song is charged with love and affection. It's vulnerable, yeah, but in that vulnerability, there's tremendous life-affirming strength. It's quite an album. And Jerry, terrific guy. Here's my conversation with Jerry Vessel, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. album is is a lot for me to concentrate on and uh, there are a lot of decisions to be made and I'm not great at making some of these decisions um some things I'm okay at I'm okay at like arranging songs or writing lyrics and stuff like that but the administrative side of stuff there are a lot of things that I there are a lot of things that I never even considered all the details that go into making presenting an album the way it's supposed to be presented and I've already made some mistakes and Hopefully they'll help me the next time I go to put out a record, which is something I'm working on. So, so you're talking about just general admin mistakes, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Just not always knowing the best path to take to put the album out, and then thing there have been things that, well, basically we had 14 songs originally, and then I decided that the album was a little. I, I wanted to put it out on vinyl, which meant having to. Uh, you know, shorten the, the the song list. And so in doing that, um, I selected nine songs to go for this release and then another five for a different release. But I'm not having much luck getting the vinyl um, done like I thought I was going to. I was going to do the vinyl through Bandcamp. And on their website, they're, well, they basically, they're not very... Um, it's more of a task than I thought it would be. I just thought that once I, I published the album, then they would start the vinyl campaign, but it hasn't been going that way. So I don't know what I'm going to do exactly uh, with regards to vinyl. Yeah, you've got all this. It's interesting because when you think about, um, it, it makes you sort of reverse engineer and go, wow, when there were record companies that did all this stuff. I guess there. I guess they had to make a lot of decisions that we didn't really even know about. Not that you wouldn't yeah. know about them, but they made it look easy. Right. So, if they have a team of people and they all have their tasks to do, right, um, then it gets done that way. So, 
the administrative side of things is the is not the sexy part of not at all of music not right at all. <laughs> no. No. um and do you find that you are able to um switch from being the creative person to the business person or is that a hard transition that's a good question because i have to do both and i can't um i can't be in both modes at the same time uh so i have to switch over from doing that administrative stuff and then switch over to the creative process so but i'm working on things i actually i'm going to are you familiar with bruce Kappen, his work at all of course okay. yeah american music club was one okay. of my all-time favorites yeah I, I figured in reading about you and reading your book, which I love, by the way. And, oh, that's um, nice of you. Thank I, you. I loved it. It was great. It's and and um, so I I have a some studio a studio date with Bruce in about a, a week or so because I want to get back. I'm sitting on about five songs, so I want to start the process of recording again because I love being in the studio with Bruce. That's like my favorite thing uh, in the world to be in. It's just me and him working on stuff, and it's just uh, we have a blast and we laugh and and cry and just we're he's a good person he's a great person and, and so i'm looking forward to that uh, uh i feel like i don't want to lose traction i got some stuff that i'm working on and i'm anxious to get it recorded i was just looking at my notes last night realizing that some of the stuff i want to record was written over a year ago and i was like well i didn't realize it's been that long so i need to get on this and start um recording some more i'm anxious to do that and it's really fun Bruce is, is a, I mean, he's a really wondrous talent. I mean, I got turned on to him in the, probably in the mid eighties with what he was doing out here. Um, are you still in San Francisco or are you, out, are you out of the city? No, I'm back in Turlock. You're back in Turlock. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce is sort of a, um, kind of a, just a legend. I mean, he has such a gift for, um, you know, finding the pocket is, is how I would describe him. Like from a production standpoint, he knows how to find that pocket. He's, he's got a real magic to him. You're exactly right. It's he, he. Uh, I think I said that he, he's empathetic with his playing, and he seems to just his. He works his magic, and it's so appropriate and beautiful. And his personality, definitely. I mean, I know him. I've known Bruce personally for about ten years now, and I can hear his personality coming through with his playing. It's like mad. Like that's Bruce. It sounds like the person that he is coming through on his pedal steel and whatever else, his production. And so I'm lucky to have found him uh, the way that I did. I didn't really know him when he was in American Music Club, although our paths crossed. I don't remember meeting him back in those days, but I was working in Fremont a long time, probably in 2007, I think. 2008 and I went to a little store in Niles you're probably familiar with Niles mm -hmm. and so I just happened to meet this guy that had a little shop and and we began talking and the fellow he had a recorded a CD and I was looking at his CD and Bruce had recorded it for him and so I knew that's how I found out that Bruce was in Fremont and that's how I ended up contacting him um, and meeting him personally so this was probably around 2009, I think, something like that. So, and he and his wife have become uh, really dear friends to me and they are always supportive. And By the way, I have to point out that the shirt that you're wearing is not not one you see every day uh, here in the Bay Area. <laughs> it's a, kind of a classic. 
Um, I wore this shirt on purpose, and um, this is a Gorky's Zygotic Monkey shirt. Do you know that band? Yeah, of course. Of okay, course. great. The, the yeah. band gave me this. I'm really close friends with Iros, the drummer. The other Iros, Iros Childs is the singer who is now performing with um, Teenage Fan Club. Wow. Uh, so I met Iros probably in uh, around 1998, I think, in London. We were staying at the Columbia, and there was a Welsh young man that was in our, our party who recognized Iros from being in Gorky's. So we all you know, came together and had a night of drinking, and that's how I met Iros. So when they came to San Francisco in probably 2000, he he hung out with me and my girlfriend, and he's a film studies teacher among other things. And so he, we went to the, um, we were able to take him to the um, Palace of the Legion of Honor, which is one of the Hitchcock um, sites for one of his movies. I'm not certain which one, but um, anyway, I'd kind of lost touch with Iris until about two years ago. I contacted him, and we've become really close friends. He did the video. I don't know if you've seen the video uh, and he did all the artwork for the album and we correspond regularly, probably usually every Friday I get an email from him. And I, so he's become, uh, he's super important to the current uh, project that I have going on in terms of emotional support and artwork and being a sounding board, et cetera, et cetera. He's, a, he's become a dear friend and it's nice to have, it's nice to think about the old days and and still have that connection that's become stronger. I know him personally now. We talk about my family and his family. And so it's become uh, more than just uh, two guys that are in bands passing in London. It's a friendship and I appreciate that a lot. It's, it's nice. I'd like to actually find the kid who introduced us. <laughs> I lost touch with him <laughs> to say, thank you for recognizing like, Late at night, they started speaking Welsh, and I was kind of freaked out. I was like, I, I'm not that drunk. What are these guys saying? And I was like, oh, that, that, they have their own language. That's what it is. It's a really, I don't know if you've heard some of the, you know, Gorky's, they, they have songs that are in Welsh, and they have songs that are both in English and in Welsh, and they're just, so the, Gorky's and Arab Strap are two bands from that, that sort of period that I did get into when they were happening, and I've seen them both several times, and I I, I, you know, I love both bands a lot. I love Gorky's and I love, I've just gotten into Arab Strap in the last few years and they're awesome. They're, they're interesting. Yeah. I mean that yeah. it's just like some of the coolest stuff I've ever heard. Me too. I love um, Aiden's writing. I love that he can sing about an episode, watching an episode of the Simpsons. I appreciate yeah. that because I'm a Simpsons fan. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of crass sometimes in what he has to say about women and his the scottish is is a bit difficult to understand but it's a, it's a challenge and i i i watch a lot of scottish comedians and stuff from the uk so i'm i i'm familiar with it so uh anyway he's a very interesting writer um and i'm glad that you're aware of his work oh yeah i my yeah. gateway into arab strap was their cover of uh you shook me all night long um, oh which is brilliant. And then I, I sort of, you know, went down and, and, and really went 
with the deep cuts with them and they're you know every album is just astonishingly good i like that he's he can be very romantic as well he's totally i think the one song that's just beautiful i I think it's called mons venerous i think it's a latin title it's just so beautifully soft and romantic and and then other things I mean, he talks about getting drunk and being a buffoon, and I appreciate that he can put that out there with it's real, you know. I so I connect with his style quite a lot because I feel like similarly that's the same sort of place where I'm coming from, <laughs> you know, kind of sort of. Well, you were mentioning earlier that you were saying you you feel anxiety about about this whole process. Um, and I, and I imagine it can be taxing to have to have all of this on your shoulders, but it also sounds like you're creatively more alive than you've ever been, which is incredibly inspiring to hear. You know, the album is all inspired by my girlfriend, Alexis. So that's, she's, um, I have a lot to say about her. So that's where it all comes from primarily. Um, and. I also started playing the piano a few years ago and that I wanted to do that for such a long time. Um, I, I thought that I could um, use that as a writing tool and it's been, it's a great, it's a really nice place to go to. My other earlier songs were all guitar and I sort of lost inspiration in creating on guitar. So finding the piano has been a, it's an escape. It's the nice place to go. It's a completely different approach and None of these songs that I've written recently would have been written. They're not guitar songs at all. So the piano's just been a, a nice change and I'm making a little progress here and there on, on that instrument. I know that some artists find you know, grief to be therapeutic. Was that the case? Did you find this to be a therapeutic process for you? I don't find it to be therapeutic especially it's just something i want to do for her alexis passed away if i if i'm going to be honest alexis passed away a few years ago she passed away and of course as you can imagine the the grief is overwhelming and i just i want to write about her while it's still something i can find in my mind before i forget about it all and she was such a remarkable person um, in good ways and in other ways. And I want to write those down as much as possible to, re- to, to remember her. You know, my dad is um, suffering from dementia and to see that up close, it's frightening to know that that's something that I might experience as well. And so I want to, I want to do, I have to do this now while I can. Yeah. Well, it's something. Yeah. I can it's, it's heavy, man. I mean, it's, it's a lot to put on your shoulders and, um, and you know, it, you can't, you can't do it all in one day. Right. So you figure you just chip away at it and, and sort of um, get what you can, but, it's interesting to hear that it has not been a therapeutic process. There's no alleviation of the grief. It's just, I don't know 
this is something that I've not really experienced before. It's all it's all new, and it's something that the the passing of loved ones I've not experienced that too much. But we're at a age it seems that I don't know if you're familiar with the writer Mike Rowell. Um, oh. he he was a really good music writer, and he was my friend but we weren't super close, but we would mostly see each other at shows. And I think he wrote a review of a band that I was in called Six Eye Columbia. And he was a good guy, a sweetheart, and he was a great music writer. And, you know, he passed away a while ago and I was really sad to hear about that. And so there are people that are passing away that I know from my San Francisco days and it hurts and, and um, so <laughs> it's, it's new for, for, for me. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, cause I'm 51 and um, you know, I, I have experienced profound loss in terms of family members and um, and it's a, you know, grief is a slow drip. Like you, like some days you're fine and other days it kind of hits you and um, and you can't really gauge when that's going to happen. And so it's sort of like you are at the mercy of whatever, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard. I really liked your um your interview with Daniel Ash. Uh, I thought that was. I just like you know. I looked up some of the pictures that you guys had mentioned, and I love that it wasn't even about. He's in. He's at a place in his career where people know him, and they don't necessarily need to listen to him talk about music. <laughs> he can talk yeah. about something else, and it's like, um, and I actually, uh, Alexis loved film and music uh and pop culture in general a lot she was very knowledgeable about it. and i remember her telling me that daniel ash was a big influence on her style of fashion and dress and she really liked how he presented himself and he's he's oddly handsome he's kind of got a big nose but he's like cool looking he's got a, yes yeah this like super cool looking and and uh so i i i mentioned daniel ash in one of the songs, but it's one that you probably haven't heard because it's 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 going to be on the other album. But um, I I was happy to listen to him, and I've you know I had Love and Rockets albums and Bauhaus albums and stuff. So he's very legendary, and he seems like a I've never met him. I think I think I think uh, those guys. I don't know what project. I think it was a Love and Rockets project that was they were recording in San Francisco, and I had a really cool guild acoustic bass. And I think I loaned it to those guys um, through the studio. And I don't know if they ever used it, but they, I was happy that they were able to at least have it at their disposal if they needed it. I never found out if they recorded with it or not. That was a long time ago, so. He is a, a very fashionable guy. And as I've gotten older, I have noticed that I got to give credit to a lot of these people I didn't really give credit for, for being so young and having such an aesthetic that oh. like, you know what I mean? Cause like for, for, for us growing up in the eighties, it was sort of like, um, there was a certain uniform where you could tell what kind of records somebody had in their bedroom, exactly. you know, like, Oh, that guy listens to Judas Priest. So that guy exactly. listens to Adam Ant, you know? And, um, and Daniel Ash was sort of like one of those guys. And there were a couple of them, um, that were just sort of like, they had this kind of fashion thing they were doing that was so artistic and so 
forward for being so young. So I, it's funny to hear that he was an influence on Alexis because uh, I could see that he was so striking. <laughs> Definitely, yes. You know. Um, anyway, so yeah. So how how are you doing with? It's really interesting because I read this essay about memory. And it's funny, we've been talking about memory and the memory, the, the essay suggests that every memory that you have is a memory of the memory. It's not the actual memory. The same thing. Yeah. Okay. And so it's almost in my, in my brain, I'm like, it's like someone taping you a tape and then taping the tape of the tape and then you making a copy of the tape tape for someone, you know, so that like the fidelity of the memory is always kind of eroding. And yeah. um, so what is your relationship? You were talking about, I want to get this stuff before I, before anything happens to it, but what is your relationship with memory and with the past? Do you find that you think about it a lot? Do you find um, that it's a tenuous relationship? Like, where are you with all that stuff? I, I rely on photographs for inspiration a lot of times. And um, I don't know, there's a song called Spirits Converge. I don't know if you've heard that one. Um, in, in the beginning, I mentioned the lyrics are, I remember William Saffer as an old man and a bag of bones that's about that William Saffer was my great grandfather and I don't really remember him but I remember the picture when I was probably four years old with my little brothers and we went to Oregon to visit him before he passed away and he was bedridden really thin frail old man and I I I don't remember that I remember the pictures and so there are plenty of instances in which I write about things and I take those memories from a photograph like this is a picture of this person. I remember that picture. I mentioned a, a Polaroid picture of red house painters that was taken at the Uptown. Um, like, okay, I remember that picture. I'm glad that I found it. I didn't, I just recently found it and I was able to um, put that into the, to the video that we've done. So um, I guess as far as memories go, I mean, I, I think about Alexis all the time. And anytime I have a, sometimes I, I, I want to remember the exact words that she uses. And one of the words that she used to use was parlay. And I, so I wrote that down because that was a part of her vocabulary. And I just wanted to remember that she used to use that word occasionally. Um, and other things, you know, Alexis had a very black sense of humor. And there is a lyric that in which I sing, when I die, will you fuck me one more time? That's Alexis being silly, right? That's her making a joke or just that that's a pretty sort of dark thing to imagine, right? right. But I appreciate that about her, that she was very funny and she made fun of herself quite a lot. And that's just her. So I, I quote her occasionally because I remember these funny things that she said or told me. There was a writer who said he, he, he wrote this piece years ago where he talked about how he was at a funeral and he was looking around at the graveyard and he was thinking like, of course, the, the death is very sad, but he was like, he was thinking about all the stories that are going to be lost when people die and are buried. And, and that the only way to keep people alive is to 
tell those stories, is to quote them, is to make an album inspired by them, right? Like yes. that's how yeah. you keep these people that were so dear to us. That's how you keep them alive. And that's how you keep them here. Do you believe that that's true? I like to think of it that way, yes, very much, that that's how we keep them alive. And and so I just, you know, I, I want people to know who Alexis was, kind of, sort of. Uh, she was a fascinating person and a troubled person as well. And I loved her very passionately. And I just, I want that to be part of what I leave to let people know that I love this person so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy. It's heavy, man. It's like, very yeah, it is. And I think that, um, you know, I think that art, Art is a way, of course, to keep people alive, but art also keeps us alive. And I think that's a huge element of it where it's it, maybe not therapeutic, but it certainly can be sustaining because you have this outlet for your grief. Um, and ha that's how you um, intellectualize your emotions uh, is through the artistic process. I'm, I'm convinced of that to be true. I, I, I completely agree with you. The process of listening to music has changed so much over the years, um, especially from when we were growing up. Um, how do you listen to music these days? I have found that over the years, I prefer listening to music by myself. Um, have you contemplated that? In the, in the 90s, I was happy to listen to music with friends, but I think as time goes on, I realized I much prefer having the song all to myself so I don't have any distractions and it can be just just mine and I can I can take it in selfishly sort of right I don't have to sh I don't it's all mine I can make it I can let it make me feel how it's it's going to work it's magic on just me I can have it all to myself without any outside <laughs> distractions I think when bands um get big and they maybe they're accused of selling out or they signed to a major label or they start to get popular. People resent that kind of like they want the band to belong to just them and, and right. they want to be a part of that club that only knows about this cool band and they don't want everybody to be in that club because it's, then it would, it's not exclusive that way or something. So I, a lot of people seem to tend to think about bands in that way. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't put Red House Painters on at a party, you know. Like it's, it's <laughs> right. <laughs> it would be like they. I mean, Red House Painters were always a private band for me. Um, I got you right. So I think some bands, like you, you know, some like some stuff you would listen to in the company of other people, and you wouldn't care. But um, right, some, right. But some stuff is not. As I think, I, I agree with you. I think some stuff is meant to be listened to alone. I think so. Exactly. Um, so do you know the song, did Kurt send you the song the Buzzcocks used to play? Did, okay, you know, for a long time, for years, I've sort of remembered going to Murillo's and that song, somebody would always play it. And it's such a good public drinking song because the chorus is great, right? So that's an example of something, a song that's meant to be shared. It's got, it's just a great pop song. Right. And everybody's like, it's a perfect song to do drunken karaoke too because everybody it's just like it's a perfect bar song so uh i i i think i've wanted to write about that thing for a long time and i was just able to place it 
you know, place it in this song because I've been sort of wanting to for a long, long time. Um, I also, another thing I like, another, I was able to write about the Pixies and sometimes a band, uh, um, you will um, remember being floored the first time you heard them, like, what, what, is, what is this? And so that was the Pixies when I first heard them, where is my mind? It's like, what is this? This sounds great. And so the, the fellow that I was with knew about the band. And so he was able to tell me, this is the Pixies. So that, I just like, I was instantly like taken by the band. And I love those, I love those moments. Um, when you discover something and it strikes you in such a way that you you'll remember where you were when you heard it and how I'm sure tons of people have that that experience it would seem people that are more than casual music fans people that are you know take listening to music seriously uh, I'm sure you have some of those moments oh, yeah recall, right no, of course. And then ironically, what, probably like a year later, your label mates with the Pixies, which is kind of interesting, right? Like, Right. So, yeah, I mean, they're like definitely uh, my favorite band on that, on that label, you know, uh, just they're, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a Pixies fan. What, um, what have you been listening to lately? Um, Aldous Harding, I think she's on 4AD. Fabulous. I love her stuff. Everything she does is like, uh, just like magic. Agreed. Um, there, uh, do you know the Australian band King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? I do. Fantastic. Exactly. I totally, everything, they're just, you know, I, I, I love the band because they don't bring me to tears. They're just like super fun to watch. They're all great. They're in Stu McKenzie, I love watching it. He's just like, he's kind of a wild man, but not too much. He's not a buffoon. They're just having fun. They're young. All their stuff is fantastic. They're, I want to see them. And I, I before I'd listened to them, I kind of had an idea what that they might be like a stoner rock band or something with that clever, silly kind of name. And I'm really happy that they sounded close to what I imagined them sounding like. I I love that band. So I'm yeah, looking forward to me too. at some point. Um, do you know Ethel Kane? I've just recently discovered her stuff. No. Her writing is very um, disturbing and unsettling. It's, it's, she writes about subjects that are difficult to listen to. It makes me uncomfortable, right? Like, I think there's one line where she sings that she's going to masturbate on your grave or something like that, right? That's creepy, right? All, all of her stuff is heavy duty like that, right? And And... and she uses, I think she uses auto-tune on most of her stuff in such a way that I really like it. And she tends to rewrite the same song over and over again, but her lyrics are super uh, provocative and they, yeah, the imagery that they, she's wonderful. So uh, I recommend her a lot. Yeah, and, and by the way, that that her humor sounds a lot like the humor of Alexis that you just told me a few minutes yeah. ago. Yes, I think that that uh, I've only discovered Ethel Kane a few months ago, and so it wasn't something that I'd listened to with Alexis, but I, I think she would have liked her work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who else you got? The last one I'll mention is a, she's a girl that lives in LA, I think. I've corresponded with her just a little bit. Her name is um, Poppy Jean Crawford. She plays an orange or a red Rickenbacker, and she's really stylish. And I love what she has going on. I think she only has one record out. Um, and I know she's playing some shows. Uh, I might 
I don't have your email, but maybe I'll somehow forward you one of her or two. No, of her I'll give you my email. No. But you can, uh, okay. Um, but she has one song. It's kind of got like a cramps, kind of rockabilly vibe to it. I love it. It's just like raggedy, the guitar. I was like, how, what is she playing? I, like just the notes. There's one note that just kills me. It's so, it's a little bit dissonant. And it's just like, I love that. So she's got some really great stuff going on. Uh, and I think she's got a new band. She posted a video recently and it looks like she has a, she's working with some new people. I think she works with different people. It's primarily her and her friends, it seems like. So she's another person that I've been listening to and really liking what she's got going on. I think it's really cool that you are, um, that you're, that you're staying, that you're staying um, aware of what's going on out there because some people tend to just go, well, uh, I'm going to listen to what I always listened to in 1987 and I'm done. Um, but I'm glad you have your ear to the ground and you're, and you're, you know, keeping abreast of what's out there. A little bit. Um, I think uh, I might learn some stuff that I can use myself, you know, and listen to what people are doing. And uh, I think definitely I'm listening more now because I am making music myself. So I want to, I want to inform myself about different labels. There's one more band that I'll mention. Um, and uh, the, the front man's name is Joe Casey and uh, they're called Proto Martyr. Do you know that band at all? No. They're from Detroit. I've watched interviews with Joe Casey. Uh, I love his lyrics and I love that he's not a, I, I love that he's very, like he wears a crumpled, rumpled old, suit jacket and has a beer in his hand and the microphone and he's not uh there's no histrionics going on with his performance he's just up there with a beer and a microphone singing and his lyrics if i can remember them uh i think the song is called half sister and he sings there was um there was an incident in northern michigan a horse was struck by lightning began to sing, began to speak in a foreign language. When it was understood, it said that humans are no good. So they took him behind the shed and shot him for a, it's just like, it was like, it's, it's brilliant. I love Proto-Martyr. I got the lyrics wrong, um, <laughs> but I love everything that they're, they're like a guitar band, you know, and they've, they're angular guitars. Um, just basically just your bass drums, guitar, lead singer, and uh, they have a, everything I've heard by them. I think it's fantastic. That's another band. Have you always been, I mean, of course, you're in a band with one of the great lyricists, in my opinion, of all time. Um, and, and, you know, what, what goes into Mark's compositions now, it feels like it could be anything. Um, and I, right. I, I love what he does. I think he's an absolutely one of the great, one of the great writers of all time. Were you, when you were in the painters, were you thinking a lot about lyrics? Because it seemed, I love what you do as a lyricist because it feels in the same way. It feels like you have these unexpected lyrical turns um, where the songs are just open transmitters where anything can happen. And I love feeling that way because you can be surprised by a phrase um, so easily when, you, when you're around writers like that. Have, has, have lyrics always been of interest to you in the music you listen to? Yes, very much so. I remember the first time I met Mark and Anthony, I listened, they did a demo tape before I joined the band when they were in Atlanta and they recorded like 14 songs in Ohio. So that was the tape that I listened to that made me want to audition 
for the band. And I remember meeting them for the first time and asking Mark if I could read some of the lyrics while I listen to the songs. And so, yeah, lyrics um, have always, I won't say always, but, um, you know, uh, they've been important to me for a long time. Um, it, you know, Towns Van Zandt is one of my favorite writers. Uh, you, it looks like you're aware of his work. So, yeah. you know, when I was when I was a kid, I, I was aware of Towns Van Zandt a little bit because I knew he'd written a song, two songs that I knew from when I was like in high school uh, were Poncho and Lefty and um, If I Needed You. So I knew the version of Emmylou Harris and Don Williams, If I Needed You. I always thought it was a beautiful song. And I knew the Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson version of Poncho and Lefty. Love that song too. I had that album. But it wasn't until years later, I went to see Emmylou Harris at The Great American. And, and when I found out that he had passed away, I was kind of stunned. And shortly after that, I found a bunch of his music at the Tower Outlet store, all, a bunch of his cassettes. So that's when I really discovered Towns Van Zandt. And I just, I fell in love with him like then. So finding Towns Van Zandt was uh, one of those moments as well to discover someone that uh, I wish I'd discovered. Why didn't I listen to this guy sooner, you know? <laughs> Why I know, didn't I I know man, I know. You know, I uh, he played at Spike's Cafe when I lived in San Francisco, and I know he played at the Great American Music Hall as well. I've heard recordings of him at Great American Music Hall, and it makes me sad and sick. Like Towns was, I could have walked to Spike's Cafe from my apartment and seen Towns Van Zandt, and uh, I did. I I want to cry because I didn't, you know. I know. Yeah, he's. I I came to him late too, and I was like, "Where, where? Listen, I came to the Cramps really late. I came to the Cramp, and the Cramps are like a Sacramento band. Like I have no excuse. Um, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say I got into them three years ago, and they've just blown my mind apart. Oh, but we have you blind know, spots, right? Like we get these blind spots, exactly, and you catch up. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm Facebook friends with this woman who's a brilliant writer. I don't know her personally. I've never spoken with her, but I. I friend requested her because I loved her writing. She's really smart. And she's like, uh, the depth of her intelligence comes through in her writing and I could never write anything. So it's just like, so, so I became Facebook friends with her. Recently, she posted a Jeff Buckley video wondering to her out loud, like, how did I miss this person? I've just discovered him. And I can tell she's a person that's very much aware of, of music and literature, et cetera, et cetera. So it, that that one slipped slipped by her, and she was sort of regretting, like, how did this brilliant performer come and go without me taking notice? Things like that happen, right? They do, and I, and I think like w whether it's Towns or the Cramps, I think what ends up happening is that you clutch the things you know that you can clutch you can only carry so many things in your two hands right exactly and so exactly. you know for me at you know 19 or 20 or whatever like I had my starting lineup and there might have been a little bit of snobbery where I where I was kind of like you know who, you know thinking I don't need anything else I got all this um 
and you know i was for me it was like violent femmes and it was aztec camera and it was jazz butcher and it was the blue airplanes and and i kind of thought if i have these things i don't need the cramps i you know i don't need whatever and it turns out that i was wrong and you need more than you can hold in your hands right and so right you know the fact that you came to towns when you did um, is a remarkable gift, even though it may not be the best timing in terms of having gone to see him or, but you still, you still have a relationship with his music, so. Yes, I don't know if you're, you, I'm guided by voices. Are you familiar with them? Yes. Okay, I, I'm glad that I, I've seen Guided by Voices a, a few times. I love the band, Robert Pollard's a genius. Somebody once described him as a redneck genius. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I can kind of see that with the, with the drinking life and just being kind of a goofball and just, you know. So I, I just recently read something where there was a, a per, this was, a, a, you know, back when the band was being talked about by a lot of people. And he was kind of reluctant, like how, wait a minute, this guy writes brilliant pop songs, any, any pitch to no hitter at the college level, et cetera, et cetera. Who, who is this guy? I don't believe the hype. Like he kind of didn't believe the hype. So he was kind of reluctant to check the band out because he thought it was, it's like, this guy can't be as good as everybody's making him out to be. So but he it is. took him a little, <laughs> and he had that attitude uh, sort of like, I'm, I'm way more informed than all of my friends about music. So I'm not necessarily going to, trust their judgment about this band he was skeptical right so but then he he kind of at some point realized why the band was being talked about as they were because they were really had some great stuff going on you know? the buzzcocks used to play frequently on the jukebox of Muriel's trophy room why can't I touch it? Ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have fallen in love with? play on the jukebox at Chelsea 6th Street Rendezvous Where is my mind Feet on the air Head on the ground Instantly I dug their sound I used to see you walking near the corners of Schrader and Hayes White as a ghost, all dressed in black I could tell it was you by the spark of your heels Going to some destination I would never know
jukebox the uptown Seventeenth and Cal Somewhere there's a picture A black and white Polaroid From those early days we would rehearse At Carol Lennon's studio Some of the girls from the scene would come around Meeting their boyfriends Playing in bands Nikki, Anna, Rory and you That was a time when our hearts and minds Were young and strong That was a time When you and your mother Lived in Daly City On Olympic that sometimes you know the the place you are in your life um maybe you wouldn't have known what to do with towns van zandt at at 15 or 16 or or whatever right and maybe it arrives right. at the right time you know where it picks you're, the right locks you're right i think you know when you're 15 years old i don't think i did i i wouldn't have had the capacity to take those things in in such a way right I want to use Leonard Skinner as as an example of a band. I I think Leonard Skinner's Street Survivors album, their last studio album, is brilliant. And I my aunt bought that for me as a graduation present. I still love the album. It's just anyway. I when when they when their plane crash happened, I I didn't have any feeling about that at all because I was only like 13 years old. It didn't affect me in any way to make me feel sadness. I wasn't mature enough to feel grief at a profound level at 13 years old. But I rediscovered that album when I was in San Francisco and it hit me really hard. The story behind it, you know? Yeah. those guys were brilliant. They were hard living, hard drinking, partying guys that existed at this time. And they were all really super talented. And I don't know if you're aware of that album. I'm not, um, but I need to listen to it. It's, it's just, it has, I think, eight or nine songs. It's just, it is, it rips. It's just pure rock, Southern rock. 
uh, and they do one Merle Haggard song. They do a cover of his Honky Tonk Nighttime Man. And it, I have Merle Haggard's recording, a live recording of that song where he's, he introduces the song. He says, this is one Leonard Skinner did for me. And then he goes into it. And I, I, it's just, I, I like Merle Haggard and, and Ronnie Van Zant was a big Merle Haggard fan. And there's a, there's a, there's a part of one of the songs where, I can't remember what song it is, where Ronnie Van Zant says, sounds like Roy. It's Honky Tonk Nighttime Man. He says, sounds like Roy. In the liner notes on the MCA box set, they, they, they get it wrong. They, they, they mistakenly um, state that he is making reference to Roy Clark, but he's not making reference to Roy Clark. He's making reference to Roy Nichols, who is the guitar player in Merle Haggard's band. Sounds like Roy. You'll, if you listen to the album, I, I know Leonard Skinner is kind of a redneck band, I guess, kind of, sort of, and they might be associated with the Republican Party more recently, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't care about that, especially. I just, I love the band. And I was, I have a Leonard Skinner t-shirt. I only have a few rock t-shirts. I have my Gorky shirt. I have an Arab strap shirt. I have a Leonard Skinner shirt. And I, I had a friend ask me once, like, why are you wearing that shirt? It's like, <laughs> I guess, cause I love the band and I'm not a redneck and I'm not a racist and I'm not a Republican, but those guys, they make me feel, they, they, I cannot deny the power of their, their music. And, and so that's the album that's the most important to me. And it's the, because, because it's such a great album because Steve Gaines, the story of Steve Gaines is one of the most sort of, it gets overlooked a lot, what he did in, in joining that band. And, and it's, it's a really amazing story that not a lot of people seem to talk about, but I highly recommend that album if you wanna to listen to a, a rock, a classic rock album that has you've not listened to before. And I, I don't know if you're a Skinner fan at all. I would imagine you're not too much of a Skinner fan, but I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know them that well. Um, they're another blind spot for me. And I think that, um, but I'm going to check that out because I'm kind of, I'm really curious. Um, and I want to hear it because I didn't, I didn't even know it existed until you mentioned it. But I, okay. I was thinking about significant rock and roll passings that really affected me. And I think, I think I, I don't think I've shaken or, or walked off the Kurt Cobain thing. I think that's uh -huh. still, that's still really, that threw me off for a long time. And it's still, does and the Amy Winehouse death those are and Buckley those three have been are are they're so heavy they're such profound losses and um of course every loss is profound but yes. um but for those particular artists that were um so meaningful for you know in terms of like our generation um we would hear about our parents talking about the big bopper or Buddy Holly and, yes. and you would get it you would you would intuitively you would understand it um and I think John Lennon was the intersection between our parents and us, where it was like, I understood that loss at, at 10. I was like, holy fuck, that was, I, I got it. I don't think I totally got it, but I got it enough. I understand your point, yes. Yeah, um, those, that's heavy. That's where, that's where the music, um, like I said, the music keeps, keeps people alive, right? And in, in exactly artist right. or listener, so. Um, are, are you, in terms of the music you make, was there a period of time where you weren't making music at all? Did you put it down? Or did yes, you I think I, I released two albums 
under the name of Heirlooms of August. And um, I think the second one came out in 2013. I just got tired of listening to myself play guitar. I felt like I had, I had um, grown as a guitarist as much as I was going to. And I just became uninterested in playing the guitar. And I, so I just stopped and I didn't, those albums didn't, you know, they got a few nice reviews, et cetera, et cetera. And I was happy to get a few of the songs placed on TV shows, um, but uh, they didn't make a huge splash in the world of music or anything. I didn't have people clamoring to hear me sing or anything like that. So I just like, okay, whatever. I'm not gonna do this anymore. But so that was like a period of maybe a long period of 10 years where I didn't play very much music, but um, I, I did have a, I have a, a little, I still have it. It's not great for writing, but it was a keyboard. It's a, it's an ARP synthesizer. So I would play that occasionally. And, and so uh, some of the songs, there were two songs that I was working on when Alexis was still here. And, and so I, I, I did begin to start working on music when, when we were a, a couple, she was bringing me inspiration. And, and then eventually I bought a, an electric piano because the ARP is not a good, it's very limited in, in its sounds. So I wanted to buy something that was more like a piano rather than a synthesizer. But I, I got sick of what, playing guitar. Just, and, and currently I'm not especially inspired by the sound of like a strummy acoustic guitar. I've heard mm -hmm. that enough to where it's nothing I really want to do. Although I do want to, watching um, Poppy Jean Crawford videos, it makes me want to get a Rickenbacker. It's like, I, I love that guitar. I've never really played Rickenbackers. I kind of want to, <laughs> I do want to, guitar is not completely out of the picture. It's just, I'm not playing guitar at the moment. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever go back to that. I'm just finding more inspiration in the piano. It's a lot easier on my hands than the guitar is so and it's interesting to hear a musician say like i burned out the socket on this particular instrument and i think that probably does happen and then and then you'll hear a rickenbacker and you'll pick up a rickenbacker and go i guess i'm back maybe <laughs> yeah. i mean i still love electric guitars but I'm, i've never been a good guitar player i'm more comfortable playing an acoustic guitar than an electric but i want to hear electric guitar sounds more than i want to hear acoustic guitar sounds so uh, I'm not certain what to do about that. I'm happy with playing the, the piano at, the, at this point. It's it's a nice place to go. And it sounds, and also you play bass. I mean, obviously you play, you're a multi-instrumental kind of a guy. Yes, but I'm not good. I'm not a good performer. I, I can't really perform well on the piano or I couldn't play and play bass and sing at the same time would be super challenging. So I can play enough to write or I can play bass well enough to be in a band, but I don't consider myself competent on any, well, I can play bass in the live situation or in the studio, not piano though. I, just, I simply, my goal isn't to become a, a great piano player. My goal is simply to use the instrument as a, as a tool to write on. And I think I'm doing okay in that regard. Um, are you, do you know Regina Spector? Yeah, yeah. 
I was just thinking about her, what a brilliant writer and a piano player she is. And I know that she, I think at one point I've read about her that she was considering becoming a, you know, trying to become a classical pianist on a, you know, a big stage, but decided to go a different route and become a, because it, it's, I mean, to be on the, a world stage with any endeavor is a lifetime commitment, right? To go to the Olympics or to be a professional athlete or anything, it's, it's a lifelong commitment, it seems, or a very serious commitment. I love her work a lot. You're, uh, to switch the subject on you while I'm still thinking about it, I've been watching the Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. Do you know I, that show? I do. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. It's, it's very, like, I, I'm in, in, in contact with a few um, friends from the UK and they're football fans, right? So I wanted to get their perspective on that show. And one of them told me it's not really realistic in terms of the sport, but it's heartwarming. And I was like, I, I, I thought that that's what your perspective would be. I don't know anything about football. And this show is not really about football. It's, you know, it's there. But and it's not realistic, but it's a I'm really enjoying the show much more than I thought I would. And it's really popular. So that's oh, it's huge. Yeah, I I um, I didn't know what to expect. And I was really delighted by it. Um, yeah. I, I also think about shows like that now where I go, you know, like when we were kids, it was sort of like you want to get think about those Bay Area radio stations. You want to get your music on those stations. Um, now, I would think the avenue that you would want is to get a, a song on Ted Lasso. Oh, to a, yeah. right to get a song on the walking dead or something right do you think about and i know you've had stuff um on, on shows before is that where you kind of set your sights for um for like sort of like as a as a um as a revenue stream is that how you think of things or do you try not to think like that i don't think about i i, I don't think about commercial viability or i don't think about the commercial aspects of music at all not that's not to say that I don't have those hopes because I was thrilled when I um basically one of the songs from the heirlooms of August albums um ended up being used on an episode of Parenthood but I didn't know if they were going to put it in the episode until I had I watched the episode so I was really happy when I heard the first notes I was like okay they're using my song that's excellent and they played the whole song. I was so surprised. It wasn't just a snippet. They, they played, the episode played like the whole four minute song. That's incredible. So I was like, wow, that's great. Like they, they used it. So I, I, I don't know how that works exactly. I would imagine they probably try to enlist uh, different bands and musicians to get their approval to see if they might try to fit it into the episode. And then they have the process of editing, which may or may not include your song so if they however it was edited they decided to edit it into the ending of one scene so i was happy about that but um i'm hopeful about placing songs in a show or that would be great i would like that if it was something that i i liked uh, yeah because i would imagine that you know it's like how do musicians make money on their music these days things have changed so much it's sort of like airplay on a radio station just seems um like a like a um an old notion right right um, exactly but not that you make money to, but in terms of exposure um 
you know, the old, remember the old days, the CMJ charts, where it was like, oh, so if you're charting really high at a radio station, a college station in Ohio, they might book shows in Ohio because there's an audience there, right? Um, but now I would just think that, you know, a commercial, um, Ted Lasso, getting stuff placed, I would imagine it would be a little bit of a windfall. I would imagine it'd be pretty sustaining for, for an artist to get something on there. Right. Um, and I think uh, video games as well, right? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Video games. I think Mark has had some, uh, he's had a lot of placement of songs in various films and, and, and video as well. I know, I think he had something in Gears of, I don't know anything about video games. Is there one called Gears of War or something like that? I don't, I don't know anything about them either, but Gears okay. of War, sound, it sounds authentic to me. <laughs> Let's go like with that. it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I think Gears of War opened up for Y&T at the Stone in oh, 1985. Maybe. You know, I, I, um, I, I saw Sinead O'Connor at, at, at the Stone on her first trip to America, right? I, uh, back before she kind of went a little bit mad. That was in like 86, I think. 86, yeah, yeah. That like would be, I didn't know so. she played there. When we were, so the Stone was this, was this, how would you describe it? It was like a really small club. Where was it located? It was on. Uh, it was on Broadway. It yeah. was on Broadway, right? On Broadway, yeah. And I remember they'd have metal, because I used to work at KVHS in Concord, which is a, which is a metal station. Oh, you and mentioned it, yeah. We would get all the listings from the Stone. And it was so funny, Jerry, because it was sort of like Y&T, Megadeth, uh you know venom and it was like chris isaac and i was like oh right why is chris isaac always playing the stone <laughs> you know what band i saw there probably in like 1987 there was a band called bullet boy do you remember that band at all Bullet boy yeah holy I cow i think they had one hit and i my girlfriend at the time she kind of liked bands like metallica and she it, but she also liked rem so she had like a the, she her tastes were a little bit you know hard rock but also uh you know like the violent femmes or rem so we went to see bullet boy right bullet boy <laughs> smooth up in you that was their song i think smooth that's right that's right <laughs> do you know who played there is the Minutemen played there oh i'm sure i barely i barely made it to the stone i went there a few times uh so i'm i, I you know I, it wasn't really my scene but i did go there what was the band that you just said oh the minutemen the minutemen Minute okay. yeah yeah okay. um there were whoever booked the stone also booked the omni or who maybe whoever owned the stone also owned the omni so those are always linked up together um but there's a I, I was on youtube one night looking at minutemen stuff and he was like a full set at the stone and i was oh, like wow. good god i didn't know that oh. was, that happened you know it was like man um, did you ever go to the mabuhay gardens no, I heard I heard about it, but I never went. You know, I, I never went in there, but I do remember going to San Francisco before I moved there and and it was open. I remember distinctly passing by the, the Mab. Yeah, and that closed. I think that must have closed and God knows when. Maybe like, I, I guess, I'm guessing around the 86 or 87 or something yeah. like that. I That's think it was closed by the time I'm, moved to San Francisco. The big heartbreaking thing for me was um, Aztec Camera had come and they were playing the I-Beam and it was 21 and over and I was 20. Oh. And I couldn't get in. And I said to my friend, I said, how was the show? And she said, it made me cry. And I was like, ah. damn it. <laughs> I wish I could, how did I miss that? Wow. I was just too young. I couldn't, I just couldn't, there, I was not, no fake ID was gonna get me and I looked way too young. I see. Um, and the, in, in terms of the, 
you know, in, in terms of your own work now, are you finding that you are you're sort of like you're very prolific or are you are you finding that stuff is coming really quickly now? Um, I did experience that uh, in the first uh, weeks and months of being isolated. I was by myself uh, for like for about two months. I didn't see hardly anyone except my parents and my nephews and my family. So that was definitely a time when I was just by myself and I was able to sort of spend a lot of time at the piano and with the notebook. So yeah, I, I, I have been, I've slowed down a bit. Like right now, I think I have about five songs that I'm wanting to record, but I did experience um, a period of writing a lot, so. How are you with being alone? And is that is that your pref do you prefer that or and it's a weird thing to ask, but some people do prefer it. But how are you with that relationship with so being solitary? I'm a fairly solitary person, um, so I'm I I'm fine with it. Um, but that's not. I mean, I I live with my mom and dad at the moment. I sold my house uh, about a year ago, so I moved back into my folks' house. So I. I, I love talking to my mom. We talk about all sorts of stuff. And, and I think she appreciates, uh, she stays up late at night and watches Perry Mason. And then she goes to bed, but we end up talking about stuff, family stuff. And, and so I definitely need human contact, but I, I also don't mind being solitary sometimes as well. I wanted to mention um, that your book, I purchased it as an ebook, and it's the first ebook that I've purchased. And I really enjoyed reading it on my tablet more than I thought I would. I like books, like the physical, you know, uh, holding a book is nice, but having it the ebook was great because I could just I could I could curl up in bed and and be comfortable and and read your book that way. So I I think the next one you have two other titles, is that correct? Yeah, so you're, are you talking about the Stone Roses book? Yeah, the, yeah, the Stone Roses book. Yeah, so Stone, there's a couple. Of, so then there's Emergency Anthems, which is a book of poems. And the other one is a novel. Yeah, there's two more. There, then there's um, then there's The Heart Goes Boom, which is a novel. The Heart Goes Boom. That's the one I want to read next. Totally. I need to read. I've been wanting to. Uh, I need to read. I haven't read stuff in a in a while. So I, when I was in San Francisco, I took in quite a lot of literature, and so I'm. Uh, my friend Iris in Swansea, I'm, I'm going to send, there's, there's a book that I've been meaning to send him, which is a Jack London book. It's called John Barleycorn. It's not one of his uh, more well-known titles, but it's about how he became an alcoholic. And uh, it's a brilliant read. This is during a time when if you wanted to go from the East Bay to San Francisco, you had to row yourself across in a boat or something like that, right? Yeah. So, like This is the time when you know, men were hard, you know, hard living, tough, had to be tough, right? So, right, right. Uh, that's, uh, I, so there are other titles that I want to read, but I'm looking for a copy to send to him. And I also want to send a, a copy. His young son is 10 years old and his birthday is coming up. So I want to send him a, an Edward Abbey book oh. uh, for his library. By uh, Desert Solitaire. Exactly. Or, that's the title. Yeah. That's the exact title. That's the one. Talk about being, talk about loneliness. I mean, that is that is the book, right? That's the gateway um, 
Yeah, that's like that's a that's a pivotal book. That's a, I'm that's, glad I'm happy that you know about that. He's yeah. just a he he is a writer that will move me to tears and make you laugh your head off. Within the, right, he's just hilarious. Yeah, smart. Uh, and uh, his I mean you have to have a dictionary beside you to understand everything he's talking about. Totally right. And the adventures he had, he was like this wild, yeah, I got turned on to him right after college. Uh, a friend of mine, well, my roommate actually was a rock climber and those guys all knew about Edward. They, yeah, they, of course. You know, they all knew about him, all these mountaineering kind of guys. Um, and he was brilliant. And I, and, I, and I didn't know, it was sort of like with the cramps. I was sort of like, oh, you mountaineering guys, you don't know about literature, that's not <laughs> thinking, right? But it turns out I'm the asshole because it turns out Edward Abbey is amazing and the cramps oh. are amazing and I'm catching up. Um, but you know, but again, it's one of those things where I found him and I went, this guy, this is like the catcher in the rye of mountaineering outdoor. That's a, that's a good comparison. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm well, I'm really happy that you're aware of Edward Abbey. I look for, there's a little bookstore here and I popped in to have, to see if I could find either of those titles and they didn't have either one. And the, the clerk was not aware of Edward Abbey. Jack London, yes, but not, not Edward Abbey. So I'll have to order those on online i'm glad there's a bookstore in turlock that's still happening yeah it's a nice little bookshop there's one in modesto as well i looked in that store for it's a used uh, new and used bookstore uh and they didn't have the titles john barleycorn i actually yeah i've been meaning to send this to iros in swansea for a while now and he's he's a reader but he's never read any uh any jack london so this will be a one of his um uh, do you know that title, John Barleycorn? I know the title. I've never read it. Okay. Yeah. I, I had my mom read it and she really liked it. She ended up buying a Jack London anthology after that. She liked it so much. And it's really, um, yeah, it's, if you drink or if you've been around bar culture, uh, it's an understanding of how people might become a drinker. And the, his explanation of how he started drinking when he was a little kid, it's really interesting. I never would have. He basically started drinking when he was about eight years old. And the reason he did that is revealed in the book. It's really not that many people start drinking at eight, but he did. And uh, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite books. I've got to read John Barleycorn. I've also got to read Bleak House by Charles Dickens because someone told me that it's, it was the only book. Uh, now, Kevin Wilson wrote Nothing to See Here. So it's, it's, the, it's, it's the first book where someone spontaneously combusts. Oh, <laughs> who knew in a Charles Dickens book that someone spontaneously combusts? You gotta love that. I think I've heard about that. I'll write this down and yeah, Bleak House. And I can't, I can't recommend it because I've never read it. But I mean, it's Dickens, and someone explodes. So how can it be bad? Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. You know, I take in things pretty slowly, music mm -hmm. and literature, and and so there's always catching up to do, and uh, I will never get to all of it. I have not read 1984. I had a copy of 1984. I kind of know the story and I lost the book. I don't know where. It, I haven't happened. read it either. I never That's read it either. That's something I want to, to read. That's one of the titles that I was looking for in, in popping into the bookstores uh, recently. And I, I want a used copy, I guess. I don't need to spend uh, $10. No. And I'm, I, I might still have a copy of it. I have to look through my library first, actually. Did you do Brave New World in high school? No. Yeah, I didn't either. So, but here's the thing. I would, I would almost say 
given the climate that we're living in now, that Brave New World is where you should go first. Okay. Because uh, Neil Postman points out in Amusing Ourselves to Death that that Orwell was the whole Big Brother is watching you thing is like, yeah, right. But, and this is before the internet, he was saying that Huxley said that Big Brother won't need to watch you because you're going to be amusing yourselves to death i.e. taking pictures of your sandwiches and you know a picture of your drink at a bar and they don't need to watch you so because you're going to be occupied with your own nonsense and then you can be controlled and so brave new world might be the most socially and culturally and politically relevant for now i might actually have that i have all my books out in the storage so i've been meaning to go through them anyway so i'll start there yeah, that might be the way to go. How do you like being back in Turlock? Is it cool? Do you does it feel does it feel like um, familiar in a good way to you? Oh, uh, Turlock is an okay play. I, I I like a few things here, and I like being at my parents' house, and I try to help my mom with my dad. Uh, I discovered a really good Vietnamese restaurant a couple of days ago that I really there you liked. Go. It was better than I expected. I read the reviews, and the reviews were mediocre, and I just decided, well, I'm in the mood. For Vietnamese food, and I know the dish that I want, so I got it to go. And when I got it home, it was really, really good, very fresh and flavorful. So Turlock's okay, but you know, every for me, like San Francisco, it's not the same as it used to be. I was just speaking with someone that used to live in London, and they they live in the states now. And I was asking them, "Do you sometimes miss London?" And his response was, "The London that I miss doesn't exist anymore." <laughs> like, okay, I can I understand it completely. Yeah. Uh, so some of the places in San Francisco that I used to go to, taquerias or whatever, they're still there, but it's a different time. I'm happy that those places are still there, but it's just a different time. I'll say the same thing of Turlock. It's a different place than it was in the 80s. Um, there, it's more crowded here. The valley's really more congested than you might think. The traffic here is horrible. The pollution there's always people it's just like it's so it's just a, a different time um but turlock's okay but i don't want to stay here forever yeah well i mean the san francisco that that we're talking about it was sort of like if you went to get a burrito you might see the singer of camper van beethoven standing there you might see you know the bass player from american music club like right, right? you might see these people because there were so many artists um, that were living there because they could afford to live there and now and now they can't and they're gone and unfortunately the whole art scene that's you know whether that's a painter or a musician or a writer um, they aren't there anymore it's all it's all gone tech so right you know yeah. and it, it has really changed in a in a way that feels really different to me and really foreign I completely understand I very much understand so yeah I mean I don't I mean so anyway, it's kind of it's kind of a bummer in that regard. But dude, I'm just I'm just so happy that you're that you're making music. Um, your music is 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 beautiful and very affecting. And um, you remind the, the stuff reminds me of the Saul Bellow phrase where he referred to this guy as an open wound of a man. You know, oh. just it's all out there and and it all you feel it all. Um, anyway, and I, and I just I also feel that you are tapping into something. Uh, which is going to yield a lot of work, which is exciting. Oh, I think you're right. I'm still very much writing about Alexis. 
how and how are you with the with the old personnel of the painters? Are you in touch with everybody? Everybody's cool. Everybody's in. Yeah, I talked to Mark and Anthony. I just was in San Francisco uh, like a month ago. I hung out with Anthony, uh, and I I haven't seen Mark in a long time, but I correspond with him through email uh, fairly regularly. If I need, you know, and he's been super supportive of what I've got going on with music, and you know, he knows the industry. And he can offer his perspective on things. Uh, he sang on a couple songs as well. So, and Anthony played on a couple songs. Uh, so, I'm there. Um, you know, since I've I've known them for such a long time, they're very supportive of me personally and musically. And so, they're uh, reliable friends, and they've been here for me when I've needed them to be uh, on a personal level and on creative level as, as well so uh phil the, phil is in la and i i feels kind of a quieter person and i don't correspond with him too much but he sends me nice comments on my efforts musical efforts and do you know his his uh band desert shore are you aware of i don't know i don't know them they they have some really it's a, a lot of instrumental music and it's phil um, and Chris Connolly on piano and and I don't know so they have some really beautiful stuff I've listened to I think they're, they're they're I think they have a new album that's coming out I talk to Chris occasionally but they have really beautiful instrumental music uh, oh they, Chris Chris from Chris Connolly from the Chris Connolly no it's a different Chris Connolly oh yeah okay it's, uh, yeah. Chris Connolly what band was that guy I'm trying in? to remember now he was he was one of those uh, wax tracks guys he did not wax tracks he did uh Chicago guy, maybe. Chicago guy, super yeah. intense. Okay, yeah, I know the name. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot what band he was in. I forgot too. So this yeah, is Chris Conley. Yeah, uh, but they make really beautiful. I've listened to some of their current stuff, and it's really, it's, it's beautiful. So I, I'd like to do a show with those guys, eventually. <laughs> anyway, man, I hope you'll come back on the show and and uh, chat with me again. It was so nice to meet with you and talk to you, and th and thank you for being so open about about everything. I really appreciate that. I am honored that you asked me. I'm really, I mean, you have interviewed some really uh, notable people. So I feel very fortunate that you've asked me to do this. Well, best of luck, buddy. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Alex. I appreciate everything. conversation uh lovely guy jerry vessel uh pick up his album her favorite hitchcock films it is a straight up stunner get it you're gonna love it uh jerry vessel music.bandcamp.com jerry vessel music.com uh two s's one l go there find out what's happening with jerry alex green online.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station you can follow me on twitter at embers editor you can follow me on instagram at embers podcast you can also email me editor at stereo embers and no one's stopping you from doing all three 
Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell all your friends, and uh, that's it. We're not asking much. Those four things would make us very happy. Thank you for your continued support of Stereo Embers, the podcast. We certainly appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Jerry Vessel's The Sisters of Mercy. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. All of your kisses Of your imperial